welcome to Docupied, a podcast about anime, manga, light novels, and industry news. I'm your host, Brandon, otherwise known as DocPay, and let's jump right into the news roundup for this episode. Two films have been rescheduled, the Given film and the second Seitokai Yakuin Domo films have both been put back on the schedule, uh, Given for August 22nd and the Seitokai Yakuin Domo film in January 2021. There's actually quite a bit of news this episode, or this week, because this past weekend there were like four, I think, different online conventions running, and there were industry panels at all of them, spread across the four of them, and there's just so many announcements. We also got a couple new uh, anime announcements, some ones that are really cool projects that I'm looking forward to quite a bit. Don't Toy With Me, Miss Nagatoro will be getting a TV anime series. This is a rom-com manga series. I have the manga physically. They started releasing it in English, so we're getting that now. It's got a pretty big online following, so you've probably seen art from it at some point floating around Twitter. But yeah, it's getting a TV series. Dr. Stone's second season was announced that it will be premiering in January. So 2021, it'll be covering the Stone Wars arc. I don't know if they announce how many episodes it will be, but probably one core, depending on how things go. Mr. Osamatsu, or Osamatsu-san, will be getting a third season in October. And Knights of Sidonia will be getting a new film with an all-new story in 2021. The story will be overseen by Nihei himself, but it will apparently diverge from the manga. So I'm really interested to see what this is, what comes of it. I love Knights of Sidonia. I own the manga, and I've watched the series. And I'm a big fan overall of Nihei's work, so something to really look forward to. I do wonder if it's going to come to Netflix directly or if they're involved in the production, considering how heavily they were involved in it for the TV series. Hopefully this also means we'll be getting a third season and they'll eventually be able to wrap up and tell the full story from the manga if this film does well. Another new phone-based manga app will be launching called Pocket Comics from Comico. It'll be launching on iOS and Android in the US, Canada, and Singapore. It looks like a lot of the manga they have available were things that were like already licensed or expired from Crunchyroll, for example, so you'll probably recognize a number of titles, but it's a mix of manga and manhwa. But at least this one will be launching on both major smartphone platforms, rather than Mangamo being stuck to Apple only. But they also confirmed in a panel over this last weekend that an Android app is in development, which really feels like it should have been a no-brainer for launch to have an app available on all platforms, but, you know, I don't make those decisions. <laughs> it feels insane to me that in this day and age, an app would launch exclusively to any particular platform when their goal is to get subscriptions and, you know, recurring users. Besides, one thing that I'm sure a bunch of people do is read their manga or novels on tablets 
even though tablets are kind of going the wayside, but I'm sure there's still a fair amount of people who use tablets to read content like this. So locking out that whole demographic. Anyway, I've got a gigantic list of licenses that were announced this weekend, so we'll just jump in and go through them, publisher by publisher. There are a lot. In no particular order and for no reason other than these are the order I found the links with all the announcements and put them together, we're starting off with uh, Seven Seas. They licensed a slew of manga and light novels. Failure Frame. I became the strongest and annihilated everything with low-level spells, manga and light novel. Berserk of Gluttony, manga and light novel. Ride Your Wave, manga and light novel. This is based on the film from Science Otter that directed by Osaki Yuasa, for reference. Donuts Under a Crescent Moon, manga. Dungeon Toilet, manga series. This one seems pretty funny. Very reminiscent of Delicious in Dungeon. Die Dark by... Q Hayashida, which you might recognize that name as the author of Torohei Doro, Reiwa Hanamaru Gakuen, which why wouldn't they translate that title? That's weird. And The Demon Girl Next Door. Then we have Viz's licenses, and it's mostly all jump stuff, so they announced it during their jump panel. But we have My Hero Academia Team Up Missions manga series, it's a spin-off. Naruto Shikamaru Story. Morning Clouds. Uh, it is a novel spinoff. And Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, manga kind of prequel story volume. So a couple side materials for, you know, popular series. But good to know that they're continuing to bring over side material like this. Next we have Dempa. They licensed a couple manga series. Lockdown Zone Level X by Romi Oishi. Under Ninja by Kengo Hanazawa, whose name you might recognize as the author of I Am a Hero. Miss Kusakabe by Shuzo Oshimi, author of several series that are I like and are good. Flower of Evil, Happiness, Inside Mari, I could go on. And then Vampires by Akili. Next we have Manga Planet. They licensed Silent Mobius by Kia Asamiya which is a pretty classic series by a pretty well-known figure in the anime works, otherwise known as Michitaka Kikuchi, who's worked on, you know, several pretty well-known classics like, uh, well, Silent Mobius, for example, but Nadesco, Star Blazers, and a whole slew of other things as a character designer or key animator, animation director in a couple cases. So that one's a bit of a surprise. Then we have Tokyo Pop, which I honestly don't know how they are still a thing or a new thing or they're back. Really, I don't know, but I have real no love for Tokyo Pop at all, and I'm reticent to support them in any real way. But they announced some new licenses, and they are all uh, BL series The God and the Flightless Messenger, BL fans love my brother. And The Cat Proposed. Apparently they are all short, one to two volume series. So for fans of the works, this is probably good news because Tokyo Pop is less likely to fuck things up. But I will remain incredibly skeptical about everything they do. Because really, there's no good reason to trust them at this stage. But anyway, and finally, 
we have a slew of licenses from J Novel Club. They picked up a bunch of novels and manga. We'll start off by dropping the biggest bomb, which they waited until last to announce, but I'm going to talk about it first, and that's Slayers by Hajime Kanzaka. That was the kind of bombshell announcement for fans. And so J Novel Club strikes again with another classic series following after their other efforts for like Full Metal Panic or Crest of the Stars, Banner of the Stars, but now they have Slayers. They also picked up The Bloodline by Takateru Tsunomori. My instant death ability is so overpowered, no one in this other world stands a chance against me by Tsuyoshi Fujitaka. Wataru, the hot-blooded fighting teen and his epic adventures in a fantasy world after stopping a truck with his bare hands by Simoti. That is a ridiculous title. In fact, the last two have ridiculous title. And the next one too. Mapping, the trash tier skill that got me into a top tier party by Udon Komono. They got the manga and light novel. Black Summoner by Dofu Mayoi, the manga and light novel. Love Yuri and I Got Body Swapped with a Fujoshi manga series. Record of Ortenia War manga series. They also announced three new titles for the J Novel Heart line, A Lily Blooms in Another World by Ameko Kairuda, The Sorcerer's Receptionist by Mako, and Homes of Kyoto by Mai Mochizuki. That last one has an anime adaptation, which you may or may not have already watched. And that's going to wrap up the news roundup for this episode. Like I said, an absolute ton of new license announcements over this last weekend. And I think there's a lot there, kind of something for everyone. Here's your general spoiler warning. As usual, I will be talking about this series in general, but I won't be spoiling any specific plot or character developments. This episode's recommendation is The Economics of Prophecy by Nora Fukuro, published in English by J Novel Club. There are two volumes currently out. I believe this series is actually caught up with Japan, and there are only two volumes out there as well. It's based on a web novel to my knowledge, but we have everything that's available currently. This series is published uh, in Japanese originally by Kodansha as part of their Legend Novels light novel line. The Legends uh, novel line from Kodansha is generally aimed at a slightly older audience. The main characters are adults, and that's kind of the point of the novel line. However, they still are light novels, uh, several of them based on web novels, and so they still have a lot of the same, I guess, tropes. Um, they still follow a lot of the same patterns as most normal light novels. It's just that the main characters are either adults or the content is more aimed at adults. And this is something I actually really appreciate. And so I've been wanting to talk about a series from that line for a little while. Uh, J Novel Club licensed, I think, five series from that line, if I'm not mistaken. There's this one, so The Economics of Prophecy, Isekai Rebuilding Project, Her Majesty's Swarm, Outer Ragna, and Cobalt King. I will probably talk about more of those uh, later. But I just wanted to kind of mention that 
I really, really like that J Novel Club licensed a bunch of these series from the Legends line because, you know, as the years go on and as I get older, less and less I want to read series that are constantly focusing on and revolve around kids or high schoolers. Now, I do think a well-written series with good characters, it doesn't really matter what age they kind of end up being. And some of my favorite series are, you know, proof of that, that it just really doesn't matter what their age is as long as it's well-written and interesting. However, I think by default now, I'd much rather read series or read books that I align with more in that way. So like older protagonists, adults, people who aren't, you know, in school dealing with growing up or youth and all that stuff. Like I really enjoyed many of those works in the past and I still do to this day, but I'd much rather follow a protagonist that is an adult, you know, an already established person, you know, instead of a kid. All of that's more of just like a personal preference these days that I've been more and more leaning towards. And so that's why I was actually really excited to talk about this week, the Economics of Prophecy, which will be the first Legend series that I'm going to talk about on the podcast. It was the first one that I picked up, and when I get into what it's about, it will be immediately clear why this was the one that I gravitated towards first, almost. Although, Cobalt King is another one that I went right towards. But anyway, this series, it is an isekai, and the focus of the series is, I guess I want to say drama? It is not an action-based series. I mean, the title is Economics of Prophecy. So you can imagine that it is absolutely nothing to do with fighting or action of that kind. But it has plenty of politics, economics, obviously. The world that our main character, Ricardo, wakes up in is kind of your standard medieval... Maybe medieval's a little too far, but that like stock fantasy world there however is not magic or anything like that well it's not that there's not magic it's kind of hard to explain but you know no one's going around casting magic spells or anything like that the focus of this story is entirely on our main character ricardo who essentially runs a company and is attending the royal academy in the capital so a couple bog standard trope cliche light novel things right off the bat and the setup for this series is very much your kind of typical light novel it's not unique in that way what's unique is the plot the characters the way that they develop the world and the focus of the series this series is very reminiscent of several others that i do like and read as well and i'd be kind of reminiscent not to bring that up here but I did an episode about Realist Hero, and I've also done one about Altina. And then there's a couple other series, uh, like The Genius Prince, or I mentioned it earlier, but Isekai Rebuilding Project. All of these series are somewhat alike. They're all different in their own ways, but it's very much a... We're featuring more of an intellectual main character that deals with politics and policy and economics and machinations and maneuverings, things like that. All of those series have that in common. So if you've listened to this podcast or those episodes in particular, you'd 
know right away that this series is something that I'd be interested in personally. So in the same vein, if you like any of those series, this series is also something you will probably like. So like I said, the setup for The Economics of Prophecy is, is very standard isekai stuff. He is an adult from our world, he wakes up as a, a kid in another world, and so that does kind of suck, but by the time the story rolls around and starts, he's already like a young adult. So inside he is a full adult, and within the new world he is kind of a young adult. And But he's already, you know, running the company, uh, his adopted father's company, I mean. So while the main character does end up having to go to some royal academy in the capital, like you see in a lot of these series, the main thrust of the story isn't magic, it's not fighting, it's not, well I was going to say it's not saving the world from a demon lord or anything like that, but there is an aspect of saving the world from a thing, which is where the prophecy bit comes in. Anyway, I'm, I'm kind of talking in weird cryptic circles here, <laughs> um, so let me just introduce the, the characters in the story and go over that and what I think about it and the writing, and, you know, the usual. The main characters are uh, Ricardo, who is our protagonist who woke up in this new world, Mia, his, I want to say, sidekick, secretary, best friend, who also helps him out with the company, and they attend this Royal Academy together. The companies in their world have a tier list, and so they are a copper company, and then there's silver and gold, which indicate, you know, size, economic might, I guess, or general level of influence within their respective like merchant guilds and so our main character ricardo runs a copper which is small the third uh, kind of main character is alfina not to be confused with altina it is alfina although similarly she is a princess so like i said there's a lot of kind of overlap and similarities to some of the other series that i've mentioned and it doesn't bother me that the setup is very similar the stories are completely different than the characters as well, but there's some archetypes. The first two volumes, which are the only two volumes out currently, but the first two volumes cover kind of two major events. Uh, the first volume's main thrust is the prophecy portion of the title. Alfina has a prophecy, which this is kind of the only mystical part of this series, is that somehow some way she has a prophecy there's some kind of magic crystal thing and it's not really important i mean it is important but the important part is what the prophecy is and the prophecy is that there's going to be a flood of monsters from an unexpected spot and that's kind of the thrust there so the world that they're in has these monsters that live kind of just outside the boundaries of their country, and they have things called mon like floods. These floods happen when certain things happen to the ley line. So, like I said, there's a little like mystical stuff, but these monster floods happen, and they like rush in and invade because of things happen. It, they explain this in the the series, but things happen. A bunch of monsters invade and wreak havoc. Normally, in this country that they're in they always come from one particular side, the east side. And so they've built up fortifications there, they're able to like read the ley lines or whatever, and in doing so, they can predict 
when these floods are going to occur in the future. There has never been a flood that comes from the other side on the west, and that's kind of the point. So her prophecy is that there will be a flood from that side, which is unprecedented, and so conflict ensues because she is not a well-liked princess from the royal family, she is a descendant from a line that rebelled in the past, and things like that. So lots of conflict, politics on that front. The economics portion of this series comes in that Ricardo was an economics student originally, and so he is running his company with somewhat modern methods, and then uses those modern kind of mathematics to help prove this prophecy. No one believes Alfina, or they don't want to believe her, and Ricardo is really invested in the region because the region she prophesized, or the vision she got, was that they would be flooding in from where his hometown is in this new world, and where the production of his product, which is honey, currently is. And so for him, this prophecy is, is vital. You know, his business interests are all tied up in that region, you know, and then he's got friends and now adopted family and stuff that live out there. And so in the first volume, it's all about him scientifically proving that this prophecy is real. And then there's some underlying conflict there between him and a larger gold company that also sells honey. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on. And then volume two deals with, ironically, a school festival, essentially. And so the conflict there is between him and other company heirs and that kind of thing. And dealing with like the politics of the country, especially, in relation to how their kids' conflicts are playing out in the school. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's because I don't want to like say a whole lot. Suffice it to say that the plot primarily revolves around discussions of economics, discussions of mathematics, discussions of research, political maneuverings and machinations, meetings with folks higher up in the current like kingdom's government, administration, whatever you want to call it, and it's Ricardo getting dragged into a bunch of conflict kind of above his... I don't want to say level, but like above his current social standing as a copper company. He's constantly getting pulled around by this princess now, and he's caught the attention of, you know, some higher up folks like some dukes and heirs to some of these gold companies that in the second volume he works with or has caught on to his involvement in some of the stuff that goes on in the first volume. So Ricardo himself has all these plans and wants to kind of lie low and not draw a lot of attention, especially to himself, and just go about and achieve his goal. But he's constantly getting pulled into things and having to convince a lot of people and pull some strings and, and do a lot of maneuvering and planning to both keep himself concealed and also end up with the result that he wants. So in line with that, I'd say the second volume kind of deviates from the plot of the first one with focusing on the prophecy and that kind of thing and tells this kind of story buildup of more of the people in the school and it fleshes out some of the other 
companies and their heirs, and it really builds up a larger base with which Ricardo can now kind of interact with in this world. Whereas the first volume is very like focused on the main group, Ricardo, Mia, Alfina, and a couple others, but working to prove this prophecy and then stop it or prevent it from causing a disaster. So all in all, I, w- I wouldn't say that the plot or the plotting is like super special or amazing, but I do like it. The things that happen, the way that the main character, Ricardo, is written, plays out interestingly. Which brings me to the fact that Ricardo is our main POV character, and so most of the narration and things that happen are from his perspective. They have some chapters from other characters' perspectives, and usually it's quite clear because Ricardo talks in a very kind of modern way, the way he thinks about things and compared to all the other characters. So usually you can very much tell very distinct character voices. There is a modicum of romance in the series, a small kind of minor love triangle, I guess you would call it, between Ricardo and Mia and Ricardo and Alfina. He is a character who does his best to avoid all of the above, uh, and so it's not really a focus of the series, but I can see where at some point I'm sure that this triangle will come to a bit of a head and matter more to the plot, but at least the first two volumes it's more kind of hinted at and discussed a little bit, but it's not really front and center. I quite enjoy Ricardo as a main character. I like reading about him, you know, twisting a situation to his benefit. I like the verbal sparring he gets into with some of the other students or with some of the like administration folks in the kingdom. It's quite nice to read uh, his internal kind of narration and you know, freaking out over things happening out of his control and then seeing how he is going to claw himself out of it. The volumes aren't particularly long, and so they are also quite easy to read. And I kind of say this every time because, I mean, frankly, they're light novels, and so they are written this way to be easy to read and not very long. So I, I kind of I don't know why I mention that every single time, but but it is also true in this case where they are not very long, easy to read, and you can get through them in one nice sitting. And then you have the aspect of this that, you know, it's an isekai, so he has modern world knowledge. So Ricardo, in this case, extensively makes use of it. In a lot of these stories, it doesn't make any sense that the story has to be an isekai instead of just straight up fantasy. In this case, they write it well enough where he's using modern economic theory that he studied you know, here in order to bring about a goal and achieve something in this new world. And so everything he does and his goal in that they explain like the second volume all really ties down back to the fact that he comes from our modern world. So it is not something that gets dropped and he makes frequent use of this knowledge. But it's mostly in the economic and like mathematics area. Within the story, the other characters also recognize him as being pretty abnormal and just like very much a not regular 
like company heir or person running a company like everyone in this series recognizes him as just like not the norm something outside of their realm of like knowledge that he is just clearly something else and that's one thing i think a lot of these series that they try and hide that the main character's been transported from a new world or they try and hide it in some cases the character shares that information but in the cases where they're like hiding that sometimes the other characters only like passively mention that like huh this guy's kind of odd but whatever in this case it draws a lot of attention to him specifically and so it is somewhat of a plot point that like everything he does is unusual the way he thinks about things and other characters really pick up on that and kind of put him on the map take notice of him because of his just like out thereness so to kind of wrap this whole thing up overall i think the series is interesting it's definitely worth reading especially if you like any of those other similar stories that i've mentioned there is a lot of discussion of economics and especially in volume two volume one is more kind of mathematics and scientific method and that kind of stuff whereas volume two gets into a lot more economic theory just because of the actual plot that's going on. At two volumes out, it's not really hard to get into now and read, especially before whenever the third volume comes out in Japan. You can catch up, no problem. It's got an interesting enough spin on that kind of intellectual main character, as opposed to something like Realist Hero, where he inherits the throne, and so he gets to make all these top-down changes in plans and machinations. In this case... Ricardo is starting at the bottom. He is from a low copper company. While he interacts with, and as the series goes on, and especially more in Volume 2, he is being noticed by some of the higher level folk. He Everything he does comes from the perspective of someone on the bottom, essentially. And so in contrast, I think that's quite interesting. If any of that sounded interesting to you, then check out The Economics of Prophecy by... Nora Fukuro, published in English by J Novel Club. Like I said, there are two volumes currently released, and we are caught up with Japan. It's going to wrap me up, so thanks for listening. Follow my Twitter, I am DocPay, for updates. And please, if you like Docupied, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Let me know what you think of the show. I'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.